Great to see everyone this morning. Great to see everyone this morning. So glad that you're all here to worship with us, to get into the Word. And Sunday's the first day of the week, and there's no better place to start the first day of the week than in the house of God, honoring the Lord's Day, uh, fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters in Christ, worshiping Christ in spirit and truth, and then getting into His Word. You know, the Word of God renews our hearts, it renews our minds. And it's what keeps us going. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So, y'all ready to dig into it this morning? All right. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read the, five, the first five verses so that you know uh, the direction that the, the Word of God has taken us this morning. Um, I send out a text on Saturdays letting everybody know the passage I'm preaching on the next day. So, if you don't get that text and you'd like to, just fill out a connection card, put your name, phone number, and email We'll add you to the database, and you'll get a text on Saturday afternoon saying, hey, this is what Pastor David's preaching on, and you can read ahead. But for those who didn't, let's, let's check it out. Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And keep back part of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias, boom, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. Father, again, thank you, Lord, for your word as we study it now. Um, just make it, make it rhema, make it real. Let it come to life. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. Question for you this morning. How serious does God take sin? Okay, how serious does God take sin? Some people think that uh, sin is no big deal, it's just mistakes, it's just, you know, we, we break his commandments and it's no big deal. But friends, God takes sin very serious. And that's what you need to understand this morning. I could just sit here and tell you guys, all right, here's my message. Do not lie to God. Okay, I could tell you that. that that's, the, that's the thesis of, of, of my teaching this morning. But we're going to dive into this text here in the early church, and we're going to see how serious God takes sin. He takes sin so serious that he sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, to be the propitiation. The wrath of God came down on Jesus at the cross for the holy righteous judgment of sin, of our sin, was placed on Jesus at the cross. God takes it very serious. Scripture teaches you and I, we are to run from sin. We are to flee from sin. We, we are to, uh, as Jude says, hate even the garments stained by sin. Now, many of you guys know the Romans road. In Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. Okay? And that's exactly what's going to happen in our study this morning. Again, the church is new. The church has been born. The Holy Spirit's been poured out. People have been healed. People have been saved. People have been delivered. There's this joy in the church. There's this excitement. There's all this amazing supernatural things, miracles taking place. 
And I think the church might be getting just a little out of control. You know, the emotions are running high. People are living a little loosely. And God is going to remind them this morning that he takes sin serious as we saw, as we're going to see with Ananias and Sapphira. So let's dive into it verse by verse. Acts chapter 5 verse 1 says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Let's continue the sentence. Verse 2 is part of that same sentence. And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, what you need to understand is this. Ananias and Sapphira did absolutely nothing wrong with the selling of their land and doing what they did with their money. That was their decision, and that was their choice to freely do whatever they wanted with their money. So the question that should be in your mind is, what did Ananias and Sapphira, what did, they, what did Ananias do wrong? What did they do wrong? Look at the very first word in verse 1. This word, but. That one word, but, answers this question. That word, but, is a coordinating conjunction. It connects two ideas. When you see the word but in a sentence or in a paragraph, it's contrasting or comparing what was said before it and what was said after it. So to understand what they did wrong, we've got to go back and look at the two previous verses. Look at verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. It says, Now Joseph, a Levite of Supreme birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a track of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas sold a piece of land and he gave everything he had to the ministry, to the apostles, um, to the early church. And Ananias, here's where, we, here's where we're going, here's where, here's where they went wrong. Ananias and Sapphira knew that Barnabas had given all the money from the sale of his land to the ministry. And what they wanted... And nice as Cyrus wanted, they wanted the same accolades. They wanted the same accolades as Barnabas. So they put on a deceptive front, pretending like, pretending they were making the same sacrifice as Barnabas and giving all, when in reality they were not. They were being deceptive and they were lying. So look at what happens in verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to, here's the sin, lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? Here the Holy Spirit reveals through Peter, through what we call a word of knowledge, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit, what they had done wrong. He revealed to them their sin. This had nothing to do with the land or the money. I need to emphasize that. This had nothing to do with the land or the money. It was them lying to the Holy Spirit about what they gave. You see, God cares about our heart. God wants us to be honest, to walk integrity. God wants us to speak the truth in love, and he expects truth in the inward parts. Okay? And they weren't doing that. They weren't being honest. Some of that old sinful nature was creeping back into the lives. I believe they were Christians, and I'll talk a little more about that in a little bit. I believe that they were believers, and I believe this is severe discipline. But, but God desires truth in the inward parts of our life. 
to walk in integrity, to walk in honesty, and to speak the truth in love. Look at verse 4. He's going to explain. He's going to explain, and I'm going to show you this one word in verse 4 that uh, shows and reveals their true deception. Verse 4 says, While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have, here's the key word, conceived? The NASB uses the word conceived. Look in your translation, see what word it uses. I'll talk about the, the Greek word in a minute. Why have you conceived this deed in your heart? Question. You have not lied to men, but to God. Friends, do you see what Peter is saying here? Peter is saying they could have done whatever they wanted with theirs, with their money. It was theirs to do as they please, the property and the money. But in the process of giving it, they chose to lie to God. This was not a slip of the tongue or a simple mistake. That word conceived in verse 4 is tithemia. Uh, the Greek word tithemia. It means to arrange, to put in order. It means to methodically plan out. They had witnessed what Barnabas had done. And they were like, wow, we want to be acknowledged like that. We want to receive the same prestige and honor that Barnabas had. So they methodically thought this through. And we're going to see a statement in a little bit that, that, that further concretes that position. They thought this through. They knew what they wanted to do. They were going to be deceptive with the things of God. And friends and family, we don't lie to God. We don't lie to man, but we especially don't lie to God. Again, the ninth commandment, the ninth commandment, the ninth of the tenth commandment says, you shall not lie. God takes lying serious. It, 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 it offends God because it's a sin. It affects our relationship with God. But it also affects our relationship with each other. And we're called to tell the truth. Verse 5 says, And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. They were like, whoa, God is holy. And God has struck them down for lying. The ninth commandment says you shall not lie. And Ananias in the text, simply lied to God. He lied to God. Uh, Ananias is struck down. God, in this passage, through his inspired, infallible, eternal word that will go throughout all the ages until Christ returns and even into eternity, God is sending a statement across the bow of the church, the first century and today, that God takes sin serious. He struck him down. God struck him down, took his life from him. Why? Because God wants truth in the inward parts. And we should never take sin light. Sin is rebellion. Sin comes from a heart that's filled with darkness. And God wants us to, our hearts to be filled with his truth, to be filled with his Holy Spirit and let it manifest it in our life by the way we act and live and talk and walking in honesty and walking in integrity. God calls each of us, not just these early church, but God calls you and I to walk in integrity. Integrity in our heart, integrity in our words, and integrity in our actions. And I'm going to tell you the simplest way 
to obey this commandment is just always be honest. Always be ready just to speak the truth in love. And don't do anything deceptive, sinful, or wrong that you would have to go back and cover up over. Just commit your life to doing what is right in the eyes of God. Commit your life to doing what is right according to his word. Jesus said in John 17, uh, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for nothing can be done against the truth but only for the truth. If we live by his truth, we won't face that conflict of having to be deceptive. We won't have to face that conflict of, 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 of being tempted to lie. But we'll speak the truth in love. We'll walk in integrity. And Ananias didn't. And the body was hitting the ground. Verse 6. The young man got up, covered him, covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him. So Ananias, he's in the local Jerusalem cemetery pushing up daisies. In verse 7, so now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. I always wonder what was going on during these three hours as I'm studying this text this morning. You know, I break it down. I study each verse, and I'm like, okay, why does it say this? Why does it say this? Why three hours? What was taking place during that three hours? The Bible doesn't tell us what was taking place in that three hours, but I tend to think there were some people that were repenting, and there were some people praying. There were some people repenting of their sin, saying, man, i got to get things right with God because he sees everything. But there were also people praying. Who were they praying for? Sapphira. They were praying that she would tell the truth. And, man, God is great. God, is, God shows grace. God is going to give um, Sapphira an opportunity to repent. He's going to give her an opportunity to come clean, and he does that in Verse 8, and Peter responded to her, verse 8, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Okay, so it's the moment of truth. It's the moment of truth. He gives her the opportunity to come clean. He gives her the opportunity to tell the truth and experience liberty, freedom, and forgiveness, or tell a lie and fall under judgment. And look at what she says. And this is an, and the, the English structure of, of this phrase. Is, it's a very emphatic statement. It's a very bold statement. It's a very uh, defiant statement. Look at the way it's worded in verse 8. Yes, that was the price. In other words, she's not budging. She, she has sold her soul to telling a lie. She has sold her soul to being deceptive. She has sold her soul to not doing what's right. And friends and family, that's what happens when you and I compromise our Christian faith. We sell our souls to a lie and we live by the lies of this world instead of the truth of God's word. And we need to dig down deep. We need to dig down deep and say, God, I am going to walk in integrity. I'm going to walk in truth. Not only will I be pleasing in your eyes, but I will, regain, I will gain 
the respect of people by being honest and, and, and telling the truth. So, I forgot where I was at. What verse was I on? Verse, okay, yeah, verse, I finished verse eight. Verse nine. Verse nine says, Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? That's a very important statement there. I'll come back to it in a second. But notice, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit, there's a capital S on Spirit, so he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Verse 9, Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. Uh-oh. Bam. Verse 10, And immediately she fell at his feet, and she breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. These young men, who were they? We don't know. We don't know. But they were obviously the assistants. They were deacons. They were people that were serving in the local church. And I could just see them. You know, they, they, they buried Ananias. They're back at the uh, church gathering. And they're probably examining themselves. They're so close to this holy movement of God, this judgment coming down. And they're probably keeping repenting of their sin also and getting things right because they're, they're seeing these bodies hit the floor in, in this judgment. But notice, let's go back to verse 9. Notice what verse 9 says. Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? It is my position, and I think it's most people's position, that uh, Ananias and Sapphira were believers. They were Christians, okay? This was not a, a judgment of condemnation to hell, okay? This was what we would call a discipline, and I would add a severe discipline. This was a statement to the believers, to the Christians, then and today, that God takes lying, deception, and sin very serious. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. If you are a Christian, if you profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you live for him, to walk in rebellion or walk in disobedience is a very dangerous place to be. Because God loves you. God cares for you. And God is going to discipline you as a parent. And the reason he disciplines you is to bring you back to common sense. To bring you back to being yielded to his spirit. There are consequences for disobedience. Let me repeat that again. Somebody, there are consequences for disobedience in this life and in the life to come. Come to your senses, obey God, follow God with all your heart. Ignore what the world says, ignore what the culture says, and live for Christ and obey him and obey him radically. He loves you. He went to the cross for you. He suffered a horrifying death for you at the cross of Calvary. Then he rose from the grave. And the, our response, I don't know if there's right words that can be used to respond other than, Jesus, I love you, and I want to obey you. I want to obey you. Verse 11. Verse 11 repeats 
uh, a phrase that was used back in verse 5. Let's read verse 11. He says, And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. So the word was getting out that Ananias and Sapphira had dropped. If you go back to verse 5 in our chapter, he, uh, it says, He heard these words, and Ananias fell down and breathed his laugh. And there it is, great fear came over all who heard it. So great fear came over all who heard when Ananias dropped and when Sapphira dropped. A holy reverence, a holy reverence came over this young and early church. If there was any doubt, they now knew that God was not playing with sin because God is holy. God is holy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God calls us today, just as well as he called Christians for the past 2,000 years, to depart from sin. We are to hate sin. Sin is what has caused the fall. Sin is what has caused our corruption. Sin is why Jesus had to go to the cross. And we are called to hate sin, depart from it, and we are not to entertain it. We're not to entertain it. Sin is like a rattlesnake. You ever watch those videos? I, I, watch, I watch way too many animal videos. From the wildebeest and the lions to the snakes, and I see these snake handlers. And man, this, they, they, they hold them cobras around, and that cobra's swinging around, and they're very skilled. They, they use the little rods and keep them at bay. But what happens if that rattlesnake or that black mamba gets you, and you don't get to medical attention really quick? You're going to hit the ground. Friends, it's, it's the same way with sin. We need to treat sin like it's a black mamba, like it's a rattlesnake. And sin wants to kill. Sin wants to destroy. Sin will wreck your life. That's the way we got to think about this. And the early church also understands this, that God sees everything. God sees everything. Every heart is laid bare before him, including yours and mine. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we have to do, to whom we have to give an account. Verse Hebrews 4.13, this is an encouraging verse, but it's also a scary verse. It's an encouraging verse because if you're facing difficult situations in life, God knows exactly where you are. He sees the mountain that you're facing. As you, but as you open your heart to him and you ask him for his help, he will help you. And he will show you grace. He's omniscient. He sees all things. He knows exactly what you're facing. And there's nothing bigger or greater in this existence than the God of the universe. And he can help you in your difficult situation. But on the flip side of that, in the context of Acts chapter 5, Hebrews 4.13, this is a scary word. This is a scary verse. This is a scary verse if you are living in rebellion. Those who choose to live in sin, you will reap 
what you sow. Meaning, there are consequences for your sin. You can fool your friends, you can fool your family, but you will never fool God. You will never fool God. God sees our hearts. My heart is laid bare before him. Your heart is laid bare before him. What should we do with our hearts? Give our hearts to Christ. Surrender our hearts to Christ. And understand that God sees it all. God sees everything that's taking place in our life. I find that extremely comforting. I find that extremely comforting. God sees what's going on in the world. But God is sovereign. And he sees our hearts. If there's something sinful, if there is something sinful in your life, that you have not been honest about, what are you waiting on? Get it right with God. Get it right with God. Repent. Bring it to his throne of grace. And once you repent of whatever it is that, that you're being deceptive or lying about or living in sin, once you repent, bring it to his throne of grace so you can move forward in your walk with God. Even as Christians, family, Okay, Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because the condemnation fell on Jesus. But even as Christians in our, in our walk with Christ, I've been serving the Lord for 30 years, and I've gone through many seasons since then of repentance, where sin slowly crept in without me realizing it. Because it's, it's like a slow creeper. You, just, you don't realize it till you're mired in it. And even as Christians... When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something in our life that's rebellious or disobedient in our life, we need to repent. We need to understand that God sees it, as Hebrews 4.13 says. Then we need to repent. We need to bring it to his throne of grace. doesn't matter what the sin is. God will help you. Remember this. You heard it here at Calvary Chapel. Lying and deception bring God's judgment. Truth and honesty bring God's blessing in our life. And it just... It brings liberation. It brings freedom when we repent of our sins and we refuse to live in disobedience and we walk in the joy of the Lord. It's beautiful. Let's continue. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord at Solomon's portico. But none of the rest... This is good. This is interesting. I mean, just take yourself there. See the, the people surrounding the disciples in the early church. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. Here in the early church of Acts chapter 5, there was a holy reverence. There was a holy reverence for Christianity. And those who were not Christian, when this was written, when this was taking place... They steered clear of the disciples. They were scared the disciples might reveal their sin. And the same thing would happen to them. It's like, it's like you're in church, you're living in rebellion, you're living in sin, and you ever had that fear like, man, is somebody going to expose me? Is the Holy Spirit going to reveal it to someone? Is someone going to come and speak to me? So instead of coming to church, you steer away from church. That's what was taking place in the early church. 
the people saw the awesome power of God, the supernatural miracles taking place, the revelation taking place of, of God getting things right, and it caused this holy reverence of God in the early church, but also outside the church. They were staying away from these believers. Let's continue, verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number to such an extent that even, excuse me, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid on them cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Wow, can you imagine that? Could you imagine just seeing that? They're laying out sick and Peter's walking down through there and his shadow, his shadow falls over the people and the people are supernaturally healed. I mean, there was a powerful movement of God operating in Peter's life. It wasn't nothing Peter did. You know, it wasn't like, ooh, look at the holy Peter. Look at him. He's powerful. He's out of his power. No, it had nothing to do with Peter. It was God. It was the Holy Spirit moving through Peter, and these people were getting healed. The floodgates were open here in Acts chapter 5. In the midst of this judgment, in, in the midst of this re, hopefully repentance, there's this mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 5. People were coming by the droves. People understood their sin. They understood the gospel, and they wanted righteousness. They wanted Jesus. They simply wanted God in their life. You know, you get to that place in your life, whoa, cherish it. Be thankful for it. That's the place that we all want to be in this life, even as Christians, where we get to a point in life where we say, God, all I need is you. If I have you in my life, I have everything. Now, Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he will add all things. God will take care of the things in your life, okay? He will take care of your family. He will take care of your job. He will take care of your finances. He, he's into all the details, but he wants your heart to be consumed with a passion for him. So when you get to that place, go to your prayer closet, Open up the word of God. Seek the Lord with all your heart and get to that place where, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you are everything I need. And I want to love you. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. In the midst of this judgment on Ananias or this severe discipline, judgment on Ananias and Sapphira, we see God is moving mightily in the people around there. Verse 16 says, and also, also the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together. So this is what happened just there at the, at the portico of Solomon. This was happening in Jerusalem, and that the word was getting out to the surrounding cities, and people were coming by the droves to hear the Gospels. The Sadducees, because they are Sadducee, they were losing the battle. They wanted to suppress this. They wanted to keep this down. Their religion was worthless. It was liberal religion. It was a mess. But people were seeing the power of God, and they were coming, and they were hungry for the Lord. Revival was breaking out in Jerusalem and even in the surrounding cities. Souls were getting saved. People were getting delivered from bondage. The sick were being healed. All 
in the mighty name of Jesus. What in the disciples? They were being used. They were vessels. But it was ultimately, it was God pouring out his Holy Spirit in the early church. And supernatural things were taking place. You know what a miracle is? You know, sometimes you hear about a miracle taking place. People talk about sports, miracles, and all kind of miracles in life. A, a, a miracle, if there's any way it could happen in the natural realm, um, it's not a miracle. A miracle is something that is scientifically impossible by the laws of nature. Therefore, God intervenes into time, space, and matter into this world, and he performs a miracle. And that's what the miracle of new birth is. It's God coming down into this world, coming down into our hearts, and changing our hearts, removing the heart of stone, giving us a heart of flesh, giving us the Holy Spirit, and transforming us and changing us. That's what Christianity is about. It's about loving God, loving Christ. It's about obeying God. It's about being faithful. And it's about being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people say, well, you know, my heart's not in it. I'm not there. That's the purpose of the, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts. So maybe your heart's not in it. Why don't you pray? Say, God, please turn my heart. Please change my life. I've been there. 30 years as a Christian, I've, I've gone through hilltops and I've gone through valleys. I've gone through seasons of just God's rich blessing and just the manifestation of his spirit. But I've also gone through seasons in my life where I was lukewarm, where I kind of slipped away. My heart had became hard. And how did I get back to that mountaintop experience? By bowing my head and bowing my heart and seeking him and saying, Lord, light a fire. Light a fire in my heart. Light a passion in our, in our hearts. That's what's taking place here in the early church. As Ananias and Sapphira are at the local cemetery, God is saving people. So what is the application in closing? The application of Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 16. Um, what do we learn this morning that, uh, uh, about God? That's the question we need to ask when we study the word of God, when we come to church. What did we learn about God this morning? And this is what we learned. We learned this, that God is holy. God is holy. That's what you need to go home today. God is holy, and not only is he holy, he takes sin serious. I want to read to you some verses, give you some verses that, that, that maybe you're here this morning and you feel the hardness, you feel you've drifted away. Maybe, maybe you feel like your heart's not there, but you're saying, Pastor David, I want my heart to be there. I want to take you back there now, and I'm going to do it with the word of God. Psalm 51, verse 6, says this. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. You will make me to know wisdom. The truth of God's word has to go into our hearts, in the inward parts, in the hidden parts. You know, life, the Christian life being transformed and being renewed by the Holy Spirit 
It does not work its way from outside to inside. In other words, you don't change your lifestyle and you don't change the way you're living first. It first starts in the heart, in that inner man. Inside of each and every one of you guys is a soul, is a spirit. The Bible refers to it as the heart. And what we need is a change of heart in the inward parts, in the hidden parts. Understand that, friend. You need a change of heart in the inward. Lying, deception, hypocrisy is sinful. It wrecks our witness for Jesus, and it can elicit God's severe discipline if you don't repent. God loves you that much. He will spank you when needed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all evil speaking. There's three words that was used in that verse. Three words, well, excuse me, one word used three times. He says, all malice, the word all, all deceit, all evil. What do we do with all the malice, all the deceit, all the hypocrisy, all the evil? He says it in the second and third word of the verse, of chapter 2, verse 1, laying aside. We are called to lay aside. Lay aside means you stop living in sin. You put it down and you leave it behind. But before you can do that, you got to have that change of heart. Okay? So number one, Psalm 51, verse 6, we have a change of heart. Then after you've had a change of heart, 1 Peter 2, 1, you lay it down. And then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Do you love life? Do you want to see good days? Do you want to make the most of this life? Then serve God. Serve God. Live, live for him and keep your tongue from evil and keep your lips from speaking deceit. You know, our mouth, our mouth is a gauge. It is a barometer. What is it a gauge or a barometer for? It's a gauge and a barometer for our heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? It speaks. It speaks. Again, the heart change, um, you lay aside, and then you live your life for the glory of God. He who would love life and see good days, there are good days in Christ. You can love life, you can enjoy life when you serve him and you keep your tongue from evil. Maybe you find yourself this morning in a similar situation. You have been dishonest. You have lied. You have been hypocritical. And you're like, God's judgment hasn't fallen on me yet, or his discipline hasn't fallen on me yet. What do I need to do, Pastor David, if I find myself living in a deceitful way as Ananias and Sapphira? Friend, I got great news for you. There is a solution. There is a solution, and you can get it right this morning. God offers you grace. How does God offer us grace? By being honest with God and repenting and asking God to forgive you 
and get things right with the Lord. And, and then, after you get things right with the Lord, if you need to apologize to someone, go do it. Just do it. Just swallow your pride. Go to that person in private and say, I'm sorry for what I did. If you've offended someone or you've done someone wrong. After you get things right with the Lord. Afterwards, you'll be so glad you did. You'll be so glad that you, that you got things right with God and with the person you offended. You see, reconciliation, it brings joy, it brings freedom, it brings peace, and it just liberates our soul and the person that you've offended. Now, once you've done all those things, once you've gotten things right in your heart, you've had a change of heart, and you've had a change in life, then you need to pray this prayer with King David. King David said this after his uh, adulterous affair with Bathsheba. In Psalm 51.10, he says this. And this, this needs to be a daily, weekly, monthly prayer for us as we move forward in our Christian walk. But Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, I need you to work on my heart. I need you to work on my heart. Even as a born-again Christian, filled with the Holy Spirit, I feel my heart being pulled towards deception. I feel my heart being pulled towards sin. Can anybody relate? Can anybody understand? If you're living life, if you're breathing air, you're being tempted by sin. You're being pulled in the direction of the world. So King David knew the Lord. He, he, he was a believer, and he fell into sin. And after that falling, he says, create in me a pure heart. Now, how do we get a pure heart? How do we get a pure heart today? By the precious blood of Jesus. By you placing your faith in Christ Jesus in his death on the cross, believing and trusting in that sacrifice he made, our souls are washed by that faith in Jesus. And he gives you a pure heart. See, we can't, we can't, have, we can't get a pure heart in and of our own strength. Because the Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked. They are fallen. What we need is an external power to come into our hearts and give us a pure heart. And that comes from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where he, spilled it, he poured out his precious blood for our salvation. And the second half of 51.10 says, and renew. Renew. That word renew means it's something that you had, but you've drifted away from. It's something that you've had, but maybe you've wandered a little off to the left or you've wandered off to the right, and you need to renew. You know, we renew memberships. I have a Sam's Club membership. Well, it expired, and they sent me a notice in the mail, and I had to renew it. I had to repay it. I had to go back and pay them. I had to renew that agreement with them. And sometimes we need to renew our relationship with God. Not that you lost your salvation, but maybe you lost your passion. Maybe you find yourself in a place of your heart's just not in it. And we need to go back to Christ. We need to go back to the cross and our hearts need to be renewed. 
And then he says, what renewal? What? A steadfast. You know what that word steadfast? It means to be unmoved, to be focused, to, to walk down the narrow path of following Christ. We need to pray that prayer that God will give us a steadfast spirit. Again, where we talked about in the beginning, it starts on the inside. It starts on the inside. Even our sanctification, our growth in Christ, our living for and serving the Lord, it all starts on the inside. It has to be. We have to be yielded to the Spirit. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that your life will be changed, that you will gain victory over temptations. It's all in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit filling our hearts. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I can, you, you can just read that verse, Psalms 51.10, and you can hear the desperation in King David's voice. There needs to be a desperation. There needs to be a desperation. There needs to be a heart cry. You know, sometimes in my study, I'll sit in my chair, I'll lay my Bible out, and I'll, I'll, I'll bow my head, and I'll read Scripture, and I'll pray, and I'll have devotions with Him. But sometimes my heart is so crushed and my heart is so burdened that I'll push my chair out of the way, and I'll push all the stuff, and I'll just lay flat on the floor and just get low before God. And sometimes we need to have those um, ways to show the Lord our heartfelt desperation and need for him. We need to get low. We need to get low and say, Lord, I need you more than anything. We need to set aside the Xboxes. We need to set aside all the news stations and, and all the social media. And we need to cry out to God, Lord, please change my life. And I think it's when we get to that point, watch out. God is going to use you mightily. He's going to use you greatly. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to always walk in integrity, honesty, and truth. And always remember this, as I said it a while ago, you heard it here. Lying and deception bring God's judgment and discipline as we see in Ananias and Sapphira. Truth and honesty bring God's blessing in our life. I don't know about you, I want God's blessing. I want God's very best in my life. I want to live for him serve him all the days of my life with honesty and integrity and, and, and just run from sin, flee from darkness, and live for him. And my prayer this morning, through this teaching, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that he gives you the same heart. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this study of Psalm, excuse me, of Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Lord, we saw, we, see what happened. we saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Lord, help us to leave here knowing that you are holy. And God, that we need your spirit to work in our lives, to change us in the inner, inner man, to reveal to us uh, your truth and your power and your glory. Lord, help us, Father, to lay aside the things of this world. Help us to flee from sin and help us to pursue you with all of our hearts. For us in Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray, amen.